Okay, so my name is Lydia. I'm a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, an encounter continuing my journey of freedom from the effects of childhood sexual abuse and emotional abuse. Hi. Depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, that was me. I was an emotional mess stuck in a codependent marriage. My way of coping with my feelings was alcohol. It's how I would block out the pain of rejection, loneliness, and helplessness. I was born in Mexico to an alcoholic father and emotionally unavailable mother. Good, kind people who always helped out the neighbors. They raised me the best way they knew how. I wasn't a problem child, so I was often left alone to play. I can look back and see dysfunction, but also blessings. Blessings because I have no other explanation to the lack of fear I felt back then. I was the quiet one in the family, so quiet I was once yelled at by my fifth grade teacher, and I remember how hurt I was over her yelling at me in front of the classroom, calling me a mouse. I had no one to talk to, my older brother teased me, and my younger sister was too young to understand. My dad was a functioning alcoholic. He was a good provider, and my mom made sure we always had food and the house was clean. I do have good memories of Sundays being a family day. We'd attend church, picnics, and get-togethers with family friends. And of course, alcohol always came too. I was five the first time I was molested. I wasn't hurt, only sad that the man didn't give me the doll he said I could have when he was finished. The second time was no different, except I was told it was a game by my neighbor's older teenage daughter. We moved to California when I was seven. At nine or 10, I was sexually abused by a family member. I was naive, had no idea what was happening, except I again was told it was a game. This game went on for maybe weeks or months, I don't recall, except that I didn't want to play anymore and told him I was going to tell my mom. He stopped. He stopped until I was 12 when he again tried to force himself on me. I didn't know why, but I ran. I didn't want to play that game. Eventually, I had to return home as my parents would soon be home. He convinced me it was okay and I let it happen. I didn't understand, but I knew that that was not okay. I was raised Catholic and all I remember from those days was learning prayers and memorizing the Ten Commandments. I did as I was told and kneeled when everyone else did. A good, a good girl would go to heaven and if I disobeyed my parents, I'd go to hell. What was adultery? No one would tell me. It wasn't until I started junior high that I realized what had been done to me. I was no longer a virgin and I was so ashamed. I felt dirty and I was ashamed of my body. So ashamed that even when it was extremely hot outside, I would always wear a jacket and long sleeve blouses. No one, so no one would see what I had done. My mother would make excuses for me to everyone who questioned this odd behavior. She told them I was shy and old fashioned. She had no idea. At 15, my mom had enough and left my father to fend for himself. He was always drunk and loved getting her mad, always telling her she looked good when, even when she was mad and telling her she'd be back. Years later, my husband repeated those same words to me during one of our many arguments. My mom placed me with a loving family that took care of me until, I was, until she was able to get an apartment of her own. She went to live with a friend and took my younger sister with her. During this time, I started smoking pot. It felt good to be accepted. My high school life was okay. Pot seemed to be everywhere, and my own, for my own safety, by my own choice, I transferred after the 10th grade. I graduated high school 1986 with very few friends. I often went to the beach on the bus by myself. The bus was my way of escaping the loneliness at home. It's where I met one guy who reintroduced me to not only pot, but also sex. I felt loved. That didn't last long, but soon after that I met my first real boyfriend, 
the one that would cheat on me and promise me we'd get married and buy a house. We were engaged for a little over two years. I put up with three years of lies, fights, and emotional abuse, which led to an abortion. I was always the one asking him for forgiveness for his infidelities. My coping skills back then was retreating to my room like I always did as a child. I would spend hours in my room with my notes in a book, my only escape from reality. My mom always was always home, but didn't I didn't have that kind of relationship with her or anyone else. By this time in my, in my life, I had no respect or relationship with my older brother, who called me a whore, or my little sister, who was the total opposite. In 1989, again, I started my life over, this time with new friends from work. That was good times. I was 21, working, going out, and this, of course, led to a whole new set of men that only saw my face and body. They cared nothing about my feelings, my wishes, or even my future. Alcohol, drugs, parties, clubs, etc., became my life and my outlet until I met my now ex-husband in 1992. I was 24 when we met and pregnant by the end of the first year we started dating. All the signs were there, the silent rage, the jealousy, and I even over overlooked the lack of trust and communication by telling myself that he was only my boyfriend and not my spouse. With him being pressured by his mom to do the right thing, and my mother telling me the train was passing me by, he moved in and we started a life together. He neglect neglected to tell me something that would haunt me, and a few years later, when his mom told me, it would hurt me deeply. Her words were, you should be thankful because if I had not kicked him out, he would never have moved in with you. I had a good, stable job, and I was able to buy a house in Santa Clarita soon after. He continued his single life, and it didn't bother me, or should I say, I didn't want to be a controlling girlfriend. Two years later, my son was conceived, and even though the only time we stepped inside a church was for my daughter's baptism, I told him we needed to be married. He said no. I remember the pain I felt at his answer. He didn't, he didn't love me enough to marry me, and his mother's word words again came to my mind. I grew up with a mom pouring into my head that unless you were married in a church before God, you weren't really married and you were living in sin. I was afraid. I feared God, and I feared for my children who were going to be raised out of wedlock. How was I going to raise them with good morals and values? I finally convinced him of a Vegas wedding because the priest wouldn't baptize our son if we weren't married. By the time our third child was born in 1999, I was alone. I, I was done. I wanted a divorce. He continued his single life while I was home raising our kids with my mom's help. She lived with us only until my youngest was two, she moved out thinking this would help him step up to his father role, and honestly, she was tired of hearing our arguments. I basically ran my household with little or no help from him. He was hardly ever there physically or mentally. He contributed money and figured that was enough. The TV got more attention than we did. My three kids were my world. I loved them and wanted what was best for them, but I was fed up with the lies and constant accusations of me cheating on him with either a coworker or one of the soccer coaches. I was so sick and tired of the show we put on when we were out in public. At his family parties, we were, it was draining to say the least. I had to smile and hear all the praise he would get about our beautiful family and how he was such a great husband and father. The physical, verbal, and mental abuse of our children was too much, and I gave him a final ultimatum. It wasn't the first time I asked him to get counseling. Upon getting home from work, I saw my son's sadness because, again, that struck him in the head. As he denied even touching him, I told him he had one year to get counseling or I'd file for divorce. He didn't drink much, but he had a short temper, and the only way he knew how to deal with the kids was physical and verbal abuse. 
He said, that's how I was raised and there's nothing wrong with me. I turned out just fine. He didn't see the damage it was causing. We didn't have problems, he said. I was the one with the problem. I spent 2010 and 2011 in a deep depression that only my doctors knew about. I was prescribed anxiety and antidepressant, which at least helped me sleep soundly for hours. I soon gave those up, fearing things would happen while I was unconscious and my teenagers were basically alone. In late 2011, through social media, I was reacquainted with an old high school friend. This friendship quickly escalated into a long-distance emotional affair. We shared our struggle, and he said all the right things I wanted to hear. He was always available via text and email. I finally had someone to talk to. The enemy's lies convinced me that this time someone really cares and loves me, and they want to spend the rest of their life with me. I believed it even when I knew it was wrong. Friends encouraged it by saying it was okay, that I deserved a good time and I deserved to be happy. After all, my marriage, if you can even call it that, had been over for the, over for the past two to three years. We lived separate lives even though we lived under the same roof. It, was really, it wasn't really cheating on my spouse. I knew deep inside in my heart that was wrong. I now not only knew the definition of adultery, I committed it. By October 2012, his wife found out and, I con and contacted me. She went to rub it in my face that he lied to me and that had confessed it was all for fun, that they were never getting a divorce. He sent me a text a few hours later and told me to leave him alone, that I was not worth losing his kids. I felt my world crashing down, I felt betrayed, and I didn't care if I died. I actually told God I didn't want to live anymore. I had no purpose here. I was so hurt, I started thinking of ways to end my life. I couldn't do it. I loved my kids and couldn't hurt them and leave them alone with their dad. Lack of sleep and no food for weeks resulted in significant weight loss, and I looked fabulous. I wore my mask well, but deep inside, I felt spiritually dead. I told myself love didn't exist and I'd never love again. God had other plans for me. My life source and my escape had been my computer. I had connected online with men, most way younger, but willing to tell me whatever it took to go out with them. Some didn't even want to go, they just liked the explicit, explicit sex, sex talk. I put my mask on and started going out to clubs and parties. My children were old enough and their dad was home to watch them. It was my turn to have the single life. He of course didn't like it. Even though we had discussed it had been over a long time ago, he was still in denial and thought I'd come to my senses sooner or later. We fought over everything. He said he'd never signed the divorce papers, he'd never give me custody, and he'd never move out. He told me that since I was the one seeking divorce, I was the one that needed to move out. And he made sure the kids knew that I was the one breaking up our family. He told them every chance he got. Alcohol took the pain away and I enjoyed the dancing, but on the way home, I always felt the loneliness. I had no one to talk to. January 2013, I partied all night and felt the emptiness as I drove to work the next day. I prayed and asked God to send me someone I could talk to, someone just for me with no strings attached, someone to love me for who I am. Two weeks later, I met a man at a club. He was alone, with the, and my friend and I called him over to dance. He was funny. We all enjoyed dancing together, and by the end of the night, he bought us food, and we had exchanged numbers, something we never did, but this man was different. We started dating, and I didn't know why, but I was strongly attracted to him. Not his looks, but his actions. Our, on our first date, I asked him what planet he was from. You're not of this world, I told him. 
I had never met anyone like him. He had a peace, joy, something I couldn't understand, and I loved it. I wanted that kind of peace, and I would ask him, how do I get it? I thank God for answering my prayer, but it didn't last long. I was insecure, too emotional, and still married. He called it toxic and ended our relationship within two weeks. Again, I'm alone. This time, though, I wasn't praying anymore. I didn't want to live another lie and get my heart broke again. I tried staying away, but something kept telling me to forgive and talk to him. My girlfriend said I was crazy and to leave him alone. It's his loss. I didn't need someone like him in my life. I believed her, but I continued calling him. We still went out. We still did what lovers do, and I still go home hurting. Alcohol, again, was my way out. Weeks seems like months. Fighting at home with my ex, not signing papers, and this man not wanting the type of relationship I, re I desired led me to seek numbness. I didn't want to feel anymore. I drank the minute I got home from work. Drink after drink, bottle after bottle, never too much that my kids would see me drunk, but enough to get me through the night until I could hide on the couch. I got used to the couch. I'd been sleeping on it for years while he slept in the bedroom. Out of the blue, the same man that wanted no relationship with me asked if I would go with him to do some healing. It was late April or May of 2013. I had no idea what or where, but I agreed. He was a recovering alcoholic, so logically I said yes. I could help him pray and help him get well. I arrived at the church, he mentioned, and everyone was sitting down having dinner. As I sat with strange women, they explained how the program worked. I excused myself, ran to the bathroom, and called my girlfriend. I didn't belong here. I don't have a drug or alcohol problem, and I certainly was not going to share anything with a bunch of strangers. What in the world was codependency? There was no back exit, so I stayed. By the time I left that night after my first Celebrate Recovery small group, I actually thought it was a good program, but not for me. I don't have those issues. June 2013, I went out again, and this time, the same man would get one last jab at my, at my heart. We argued. He said it seemed like I couldn't even have a good time unless I had a drink in my hand. I see the truth in that now. What are you... He called me in the same week asked me, and surprised me. He asked me, what are you going to do now? How will you cope this time? I told him not to worry about me. I got this. I always find my way. I wasn't listening until he said, I'm handing you a lifesaver and you're not taking it. Go to celebrate your recovery. If not for you, do it for your kids. This conversation not only left me feeling powerless, but also doubting in myself, something I was not used to. If there was one thing I had always told myself and my kids, it was that we can do anything we set our minds on. Where there is a will, there is a way. I knew he hurt me, but I also knew he was trying to help. I agreed and said, fine, I'll look into it. That church was out in Torrance, 50 miles just one way. I checked local churches and no one had the CR program. I decided to just buy myself the CR step study guides, the CR Bible, and I'd do this on my own. I loved reading and I convinced myself I didn't need to share anything with strangers. I could do this at home by myself. It wasn't the first time doing self-improvement. By the end of June, after reading God's word in the Bible that pointed out my sins of adultery and murder, I felt guilt and condemnation. I didn't know who to talk to. I recalled I exchanged numbers with a woman at CR, and, she, and I called her, and she listened and was willing to meet me out front if I chose to go back. What if he was there? I didn't want to face him. I was welcomed, but I felt out of place. They all introduced themselves as God's children or Christ followers. What was that? July 14, July 4, 
July 4th weekend, I started attending my first night there, and I left with so much lifted off my shoulders from sharing and crying. I needed that. There's healing in tears, I was told. I continued to go every Friday, and God always made sure I had no traffic and finished work early enough to go home, shower, and drive down there. He also made sure I didn't drink. I was challenged on Facebook by a lady out in Australia to join Dry July. It meant no drinking alcohol for the month of July to show support for all cancer patients. Yes, I could have cheated, and no one would know, but when I give my word and I'm doing it for someone other than myself, I keep my promises. No drinking and attendance CR in one month gave me so much charity. I even started going to church on Sundays. The first time I stepped into Sunday service, I not only felt like the prodigal son that went back to his father's house, but I felt God's presence. I felt the Lord's love, his warmth, and so much weight lifted off my heart that I wanted to know him more. I became an online sermon junkie. Up until now, I only knew God as our creator and Jesus from the children's Bible that I used to read to my children at bedtime. I started to see God work in my own personal life. He was answering prayers and questions I would ask him as I cried myself to sleep. The answers would come out of the mouth of strangers. People I didn't know were telling me things I wanted to know through group and through fellowship at cafe after work, after groups. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Matthew 7, 7. Exactly what I was doing. I was seeking God with all my heart. I asked and I was asking and he was both answering and giving me all I needed. Anchor 3 says, respond to the love of God by surrendering my life and will to Jesus Christ. And on August 11, 2013, I did just that. The pastor of our church invited anyone who wanted to be baptized to come down and jump in. I was hesitant, but my daughter turned to me and said, Mom, go. He's calling you. This is for you. So I did. Baptism was my declaration that I surrendered my life and will to the care and control of Jesus Christ. This journey with Jesus has taken me from glory to glory, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. The struggles, hardship, and chaos that go with living in a broken world have not been easy, but God is faithful. He has used the hard times to shape my character into a woman who can now stand and not be easily shaken. Through this program, I met women that encouraged me to continue forward, women that lift me up in prayer and remind me that I'm not the woman at the well. I hold on to God's word. Anchor 8 says, allow God's word to become the authority over my life. So when the enemy reminds me of past sins and actions, I declare out loud, Romans 8.1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have freedom through Jesus Christ from lifelong hurts, habits, and hangups, and he continues to transform me daily. I work the encounter anchors into my life. Anchor 9, commit to a daily prayer life and grow my relationship with the Father. Anchor 10, get dressed daily for battle by putting on God's armor and taking my thoughts captive. Anchor 11, trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide me. I now live in victory because I can see who I am in Christ. My identity has been restored. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. Anchor four, realize who I am in Christ and reject the lie that I am my character, defects, and sins. September 2013, God did it again. My local church I attended opened its doors to celebrate recovery. I was sad to say goodbye to my Torrance family, but I knew this new CR is where I needed to be. 
especially if I was going to start the step study that everyone said I should. To be honest, I didn't like this new place. It was crowded and full of too many volunteers. I usually waited until everyone went to large group to sneak in and quickly snuck out after small group. Pastor Bill's sense of humor was what kept bringing me back. I will never forget how powerful the lesson on forgiveness was. I wrote down the names of all who have hurt me or my children and even my own name. I nailed it to the cross and I felt a release. I was so drained but at peace. It was at this, this, as if this was what God had been waiting for. I had surrendered it all to him, but only I can forgive from my own heart. Soon after this, my ex signed the papers and although we had joint custody, he allowed my children to stay with me. God led me to lenders that took the risk but gave me a loan to keep my house and buy out my ex. Although I always pray, God, your will be done, divorce is not God's will. It is not what he intended, but he has forgiven me. And because he has forgiven me, I don't live with the guilt of that divorce. January 2014, I embarked on taking a step study. It was through this step study that the Holy Spirit showed me why I acted the way I did, why I had become that insecure, always worried, lonely, depressed, and easily hurt individual. He taught me to look up and focus on Jesus and set my eyes, my eyes on things above. By renewing my mind daily with his word, I'm able, to have a good health, I'm able to have good healthy relationships. I have learned to forgive and not be easily offended. I live to please God. I'm not perfect, but I'm happy, and best of all, I have his peace, the one I kept asking that guy about. Although we went our separate ways, I do consider that man a friend, a true friend. My definition of a true friend is one who tells me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. November of 2014, I placed a purity ring on my finger as a reminder that love waits and that what was most important to me is my relationship with God. I gave Jesus the key to my heart for safekeeping. I gave him all my dreams and desires in exchange for his peace and his joy. He, in turn, also gave me new desires. By February 2015, I had eyes to see my future husband, but my heart was still not ready to be given away. Even though Ray and I tried keeping things simple and agreed only on friendship, my soul, which had not completely healed, kept messing with my emotions. I kept getting hurt over and over until June 2015, I couldn't handle it, and I relapsed. I reached for my favorite drink only to find out that it was sour, and after two drinks of heavy vodka with vodka, I, I was unable to even get a buzz. I knew Jesus had turned my drink into water. This was not for me. I got up the next day with a hungover anyway, but June 7, 2015 was the beginning of life again. I have not touched alcohol since then. Praise the Lord. I began to search, I began to search other CRs to attend because I didn't want to see Ray at all. I found, it, <laughs> I found a few CRs, but not com none compared to the one that Bill was running. I even started looking for a new church and went with my accountability partner to one that she had invited me to for over a year. I wasn't running from God, I was running to God. This event brought me closer to the Lord. It led me to a church that I currently attend and serve at. God poured his love on me during worship and at the altar call, I recommitted my life to Jesus. I was baptized in the spirit later that same day. One of the pastors there ministered to me soon after and I held on to God's word. Matthew 6, 3, 3, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I was all in with Jesus and continue to be all in at CR. God's word says he is faithful and that he redeems and restores. This is exactly what he has done for me, what he continues to do. 
I now not only have a new husband, I have my heart's desire. I married a man after God's heart, June 25th, 2016. Ray and I both serve here at Encounter, not because we have to, but we get to. We get to show others the way to freedom through Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. I praise God and I give him all the glory. He takes me out of my comfort zone often. When we first left the CR ministry and came to Encounter, it was exciting, but at the same time, it was uncomfortable. We left dear friends behind, some even unfriended me. I have had issues with coming here because I see a lot of new things and new faces. Change is hard, but the breakthrough is worth the pain. When Pastor Bill was reading and introducing the 12 Anchors of Hope, the Holy Spirit was rejoicing, and I could feel my heart doing leaps and bounds. This was God's reassurance, that he will never leave me nor forsake me. I am all in at encounter and willing to endure aches and pains of the birth of this ministry. God is always doing something new, and it may be painful at times, but God is always with us. I encourage anyone who struggles like myself to get connected by serving in any way they can. I was asked to be a leader when I didn't want to. I, I was asked to be on the prayer team when I felt not qualified. But in all this, God has been faithfully by my side. Keep coming back and play a part in an encounter where hope truly can be found. Thank you for letting me share.